thank you very much, and uh, thank you and Ben for organizing this really wonderful event, um, for inviting me, and uh, thank you to many others for the wonderful presentations, workshops, uh, films, uh, um, performances that uh, were already presented earlier. Um, it's a very rich program. I hope you have still a little bit of attention left um, and energy left uh, to listen to me. Um, I was asked to do something that would not so much close and um, uh, bring together everything, but maybe open up to uh, beyond. Well, I took that uh, quite literally. <laughs> and uh, I want to start um, from this quote. Um, actually, this, this quote is uh, the headline of an article on the cover um, of the Sydney Mo Morning Herald. And uh, the text um, is a, a kind of a review um, uh, about a, a model of the solar system um, that um, is installed in Melbourne. And the image here shows the sun and the creator uh, of, of the whole uh, model. And it is a model that is in a, on a scale of one to one billion, uh, which means that instead of navigating 4.5 billion kilometers from the sun to Neptune, uh, or 5.9 billion kilometers from the sun to Pluto, in Melbourne one travels only four and a half kilometers from the sun to Neptune and 5.9 kilometers to Pluto. Uh, so the model gives a kind of a an impression of the, the vastness of the solar system in relation to a human perspective by means of a dramaturgy of proximity that uh, places the solar system right in the backyard of people living in Melbourne. And the review in the newspaper observes that St Kilda residents have often been criticized for believing they live in the center of the universe. Now indeed they do. And the model gives an impression uh, not only of the relative distances between the planets, but also of the size of the planets relative to one another and to these distances. Uh, the planets are also on a scale of one to one billion. So this is the sun. And here we see Pluto, <laughs> um, 5.9 kilometers away from the sun. And here too, although it's hard to see Pluto actually here, but um, one can see the pedestal. Uh, and I think this image gives a, an interesting impression of, of how the model brings the solar system closer by how it affords space travel by bike. Um, or jogging through the universe <laughs> or walking the dog around the sun. Um, living in the solar system, which in a way uh, we all do, of course, um, gets an experiential di dimension in a very different way in this example, which is from the opposite side of the world. This is the oldest working mechanical planetarium, and it is uh, in the Dutch town of Franeker. It was constructed between 1774 and 1781 by a ma man named Eise Eisinga. And he constructed this model to, to counter a panic that had emerged when people believed that the constellation of the planets that was observed at that time uh, would pull the Earth from its orbit and into the Sun. And uh, Eisinga created uh, this model to demonstrate the actual movements of the planets uh, and that therefore there was uh, no reason for panic. The model is in his living room um, where he and his family also uh, kept uh, living and using as a, as a living room. And it's actually a combination of what um, nowadays would be called uh, a planetarium and an orrery. Um, models of, of solar system have 
come to be called Ories after a famous <coughs> early modern example that um, was presented to uh, Charles Boyles, the fourth Earl of Ory, in 1704. Uh, but also before that, clock-like mechanisms uh, were constructed to demonstrate the positions of the then known planets uh, and the Earth and the Sun in relation to one another, and according to the current ideas about their positions and movements. Uh, this is a very old model. Um, this is actually a reconstruction um, of such a mechanism uh, called the Astrarium uh, from uh, 1350, uh, constructed in Padova. This is another historical one that looks yeah, like many of these uh, mechanical uh, demonstrations of orries. And here we see an ori on a painting, a painting uh, by Derby called A Philosopher Lecturing on the Ori. Um, and here you see an, an ori in which uh, a lamp is placed uh, at the position of the sun so that, uh, in order to give an impression also of how um, the, the movement of the planets relative to one another can uh, causes uh, day and night and uh, the seasons. <coughs> now the, the terms ori and planetarium are sometimes used as, as if interchangeable, uh, especially in historical times, but nowadays usually planetarium refers to these uh, hemispherical theaters uh, with images of the night sky uh, projected onto an overhead surface, and orrery is usually used for mechanical models demonstrating positions and orbits of planets, and that often actually show these movements by means of clock-like mechanisms. Many of, many of them were created by clockmakers. Uh, Isinghouse Planetarium is a kind of hybrid. Uh, this is a, a view from below to, to the ceiling where you see this idea of the sky, um, a bit abstract, but uh, an image of the sky. Uh, in combination uh, with a mechanical model, here we see this, this, uh, the, the copper balls that can also see hanging here, um, that are the, 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 is the sun and the planets around it. And it also has a clock-like um, mechanism, uh, actually a very sophisticated mechanism, because um, in, the, in the Isinghaar Planetarium, um, the, the time span that, uh, that it takes for the planets to move mirrors that of the actual planets. Uh, so in the planetarium it takes um, uh, 88 days for Mercury to orbit the Sun, uh, a year uh, for, for the Earth, and Saturn uh, takes 29 years. <coughs> so we can really see a, a kind of mirroring of, of the positions outside. Um, Isinghouse planetarium does not um, present an image of the vastness of the solar system, like the outdoor example uh, in Melbourne. On the contrary, it presents a kind of a clear overview uh, for a human viewer looking at it in real time. Uh, and in order to do so, uh, it is to scale in some ways, uh, but not in others. Um, the distances between the planets are to scale, but the planets are way too big compared to the distances. For as the Melbourne example uh, shows, if one wants uh, the size of the planets to be on the same scale as the distances between them, um, yeah, Pluto for, for Pluto to be like this, we already need a planetarium of uh, more than 10 kilometers uh, in diameter. So usually orries um, do not present the planets to scale and focus on showing the position and orbits uh, um, and in, in at, a, at a different scale. And due to this convention, uh, the solar system fits in this small house in Franeker, uh, where Isinga lived uh, with his family in the solar system. Now these dramaturgies of, of proximity 
uh, used in the Melbourne model and uh, in this planetarium, um, each in their own way, uh, mediating, getting to know the universe, grasping what is out there, beyond the limits of what we can perceive, beyond human scale, and um, they mediate in, in bringing this, this beyond closer in terms of uh, yeah, human experience, like jogging, biking, having dinner inside the solar system. But a closer look at what actually happens in these dramaturgies of, of proximity um, reveals that what is actually brought closer by them is not the universe or the solar system, but a model. Um, furthermore, this is a model that mediates in ways of imagining the solar system as if independent precisely from such a human point of view on Earth. And visiting Eisinga's living room uh, brings the model closer to our life world, just as biking or jogging through, the Mel through Melbourne and getting a sense of the distances represented in the model in terms of our own embodiment. Yet the models themselves uh, invite an understanding of the solar system as if from a position outside uh, of, of, of the system and in ways humans would never be able to perceive that system. The dramaturgies of proximity thus mediate in a sense of closeness that obscures how attempts at knowing the universe take shape from a position within the, uh, the, the, the solar system and in a condition of being of the universe. Now this condition of being of the universe um, is the subject of my third example, and um, this third example is also a model of the solar system, an orrery uh, created by Charles Le Dre in 1997. It looks like this. So, at first sight, it looks like a, a typical orrery, showing their relative position of planets, their moons, um, the orbits of the planets and the moons, and this little handle can be used. Uh, to set the system in motion. Now one thing that makes this um, model very special is that it is really small. <laughs> I find this a really fascinating image of how humans try to relate to this really tiny thing, fragile object, as model for something incredibly big and in which they are supposed to imagine themselves to be inside. Um, and, and, and why also this is, yeah, the, the the, the, this, this bell glass also highlights that, that they are outside, actually, and excluded from the model. So it's a very paradoxical image. But this model is, in, is very special for more than that. Um, what makes it also very special is that it's created completely out of human bone. Um, and, and thus it presents a, a very complex image of the relationship between humans and the solar system. Um, bringing together this enormity and distance of the universe with what is deep inside the human body. At destabilized, one might say, the logic of scale organizing our understanding of closeness and distance. Our bones are in a way also distant from our experience, but not because they're far away. Um, they're incredibly close, yet in many ways also outside our perceptual reach. They're part of our embodiment that sets the stage for perception in the first place. Now, this model um, shows the solar system as we suppose it is, and shows it to matter in, yeah, in the same material as the human body. It reminds me of something stated in an exhibit 
uh, in the Museum of Natural History in New York, where it is explained that we are stardust, and then the text explains every atom of oxygen in our lungs, of carbon in our muscles, of calcium in our bones, of iron in our blood, was created inside a star before the Earth was born. Now this text thus invites an understanding of ourselves as being of the same matter as the universe. Yet the exhibit in the Museum of Natural History um, does not really reflect on what the implications of this being of the same matter may have for how the universe is known. And in this respect, uh, the suggestion presented by Ladre's Ori is quite different. This model um, shows how our, our understanding of the solar system is carved out, our, out of our own bones. Uh, it, it, it represents a model of the universe, a certain way of understanding, and this understanding is carved out of bones. It shows human bones to be at the core of how the universe is known. And importantly, this is not presented uh, as a subjective perspective or subjective way of relating to a model that supposedly shows the solar system as it is. Rather, it suggests that the model of the solar system as it is, supposedly, itself matters in terms of the stuff human knowers are made of. Now, this dramaturgy of proximity deployed here suggests an understanding of, of what it means to know the solar system, similar to what Karen Barat argues in her groundbreaking book, Meeting the Universe Halfway, Quantum Physics and the Entanglement of Matter and Meaning. Barat refers to what, according to Niels Bohr, is the core lesson of quantum physics. And it is that we are part of the nature that we seek to understand. Our ability to understand the world hinges on our taking account of the fact that our knowledge-making practices are social material enactments that contribute to and are part of the phenomena we describe. And this means that there is no such thing as an outside position from where we can know how it is with the solar system or anything within it. How things can come to be known is implicated within the very material practices in which knowledge is produced. And human ways of knowing cannot be understood independent from these material practices. Human knowers are implicated in these practices. And knowing and producing knowledge is not something we do as autonomous scientists and thinkers, but as part of apparatuses in which human and non-human bodies interact. Barrett elaborates such an understanding of what it means to know the universe uh, through Bohr's notion of the apparatus. And apparatuses, according to Bohr, are material practices through which intelligibility and materiality are co-constituted. The apparatuses used by physicists, for example, he argues, are not merely observational devices or laboratory instruments. They're not neutral probes of some independently existing natural world. Neither are they deterministically imposing a specific outcome. Rather, the outcome is the result of interactions between humans and technologies afforded by the apparatus. And Bohr then gives the example of how light can appear as either waves or particles, depending on the exper experimental apparatus used. That is, light is not one or, or the other. 
rather light materializes and becomes intelligible as either one or the other, depending on the apparatus used to investigate it. So these things are completely uh, interrelated. <coughs> now an important implication of Bohr's explanation of the apparatus is that practices of knowing cannot be fully claimed as human practices. Not simply because non-human elements are used in practice of producing knowledge, but because practices of knowing and being, intelligibility and materiality, are mutually implicated. Our ways of knowing cannot be separated from how we are part of the world. And therefore, Barat argues, ontology and epistemology can no longer be separated. We have to learn to think in terms of an onto-epistemology that acknowledges um, how practices of knowing and being are inseparable. Now, developing such an onto-epistemology, uh, a la Barat, becomes all the more urgent in our current situation, in which technology plays an ever more prominent and active role in how things come to be known. And technologies that also do so in ways that disrupt relations between how things come to be known and human perception and experience. And I'm referring here to big science projects, like the recent proof of the existence of gravitational waves, the hunt for the Higgs particle uh, at CERN in Geneva, or the Hubble Space Telescope, just to mention some of the most prominent examples. These very large-scale um, technological devices provide access to what is imperceptible to humans. But also in social sciences, in the humanities, big data research and other computer-driven models um, of analysis are more and more operating according to logics and at scales and speeds that are very different from human perception and communication. In daily life, um, technological developments are also creating a situation in which more and more sensing and communicating and interpreting is going on in ways beyond human awareness and in ways that humans do not have access to. For example, when I was writing this paper, uh, I bought a new laptop and started it up for the first time. And within virtually no time, uh, the computer informed me what kind of printer I owe and that the printer needs a new cartridge. So within virtually no time, the newly bought computer set up communications with other uh, machines in my home, started to communi communicate with them and then communicated back to me uh, what I needed to do. Uh, I didn't ask or, do, uh, or order the computer to do anything, but it ordered me, so I found myself implicated in this larger apparatus of machines. Um, and that, that in their communication set the stage for potential action for me. Now this experience could be called an illustration of Mark Hansen's point that um, the current phase of our technological developments places humans more and more in the positions of being implicated in larger apparatuses that operate to a large extent outside their awareness. And the situation, he then argues, requires that we develop increased awareness of what it means to be implicated in such systems. It doesn't mean that, as sometimes is assumed, an end to agency to be implicated like this, but it does require rethinking of what agency is and how it is related to the apparatuses in which we are um, performing. 
of which you are part. Now, Mark Hansen is a media theorist, and he writes about the emergence of what he terms 21st century media. And he uses this term not so much to refer to a specific type of media, uh, but to a way of functioning of media, a new way of functioning of media that he perceives to be more and more pervasive. And this is that the modes of operating of contemporary media um, can less and less be understood in terms of how they present kind of records of perception, how they offer representations of a world that supposedly can be perceived in similar ways outside the media, um, like for example cinema and sound recording do. Even if what cinema or sound recorder recordings offer to us is completely manipulated and was never there to be perceived by a machine, what they offer to us human perceivers can be perceived as a record of a perception of something that happened uh, in, in a similarly perceivable way outside the media. Now, 21st century media function in a very different way. And, and this difference can be illustrated, for example, by the difference between um, a cinematic recording of a movement and the same movement captured by motion capture. Motion capture uh, records movements in ways that are very different from human perception. And unlike a cinematic uh, recording, it does not record and store something that looks like a record of perception of a moving body. It captures and stores data sets that describe relationships and how these relations between points in space develop over time. And in order to be perceptible for humans as a record of a movement, an additional layer of mediation is required to visualize these movements. And this additional layer is, is, not, necessarily, is not necessary for, for the technology itself, but is, is necessary for the communication with humans. What, what human perceivers encounter with 21st century media, therefore, is increasingly not that what has been captured and stored or how it is processed, but how uh, technology um, interprets it it's for us and adds this layer of mediation in order to to communicate it with us in a way in which you could say, in a way we are implicated in what is communicated to us. Our modes of perceiving are implicated. 21st century media themselves sense things humans cannot perceive. They process information in ways and at speeds that humans cannot. And as a result, they no longer mediate a world that is also available to us outside these media. Rather, they as uh, Hansen uh, calls it, directly interfere with the sensible, they expand what can be perceived and how the world and the universe can be known. And at the same time, they also increasingly confront us with the fact that how the world and how the universe becomes available to us is not merely a matter of us perceiving and understanding what is out there, but the outcome of our interactions with technology and how we as knowers are implicated in these larger apparatuses with which we probe the world and the universe. What, what these 21st century media confront us with um, is something that is not necessarily unique to them or to the current moment, but it is very much foregrounded by them and by these technological developments. Humans have interacted with tools and technologies of all kinds since the Stone Age. 
and that it is from these interactions that human modes of knowing and thinking emerged is acknowledged in paleontology and in evolutionary biology. Media theorists like Hansen, but also Catherine Hales and Bernard Stiegler, uh, observing similar phenomena in more recent times, speak of technogenesis, of the co-evolution of humans and technology. And the current phase of this evolution, this co-evolution, confronts us with implications of this co-evolution in an increasingly um, <coughs> more prominent way. Now, in this situation, historical practices of knowledge production, like, for example, those of astronomy, become relevant in new ways, namely to explore the implications of interactions between humans and technologies for how we have come to know and still come to know what it means to know what knowledge is and how knowledge can be transmitted. And astronomy, I think, is particularly interesting in the context of our symposium here for how producing knowledge in astronomy involves quite literally producing proximity. Astronomy has a long history of trying to grasp beyond the limits of human perception to produce knowledge about what cannot be perceived by humans and bring closer to us uh, what is beyond our perceptual reach. And it has a long history of doing so in interaction with technologies. Some relatively simple and small, like telescopes, but also very big ones, like observatories, this is the one in Strasbourg. And in such technologies, let's say even in such analog technologies, humans are kind of part of larger apparatuses, this is in Greenwich, and produce uh, an understanding that is not a matter of their perception only, but of the interaction of in the entire apparatus. Now in these we, um, analog um, examples, you might still want to argue that uh, this is more like a prosthetic extension of, of human perception, uh, but this is certainly not anymore the case in um, the Kepler Space Observatory. Uh, here, it's no longer a kind of extension of human perception, but it is technology probing the universe in a very different ways than humans would do. Um, and, 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 and capturing data, processing data in, in ways that humans are incapable of. And it's only at the very end that then images appear created for humans uh, and according to uh, ways, uh, yeah, the, um, ways that respond to human modes of, of perceiving. And in, in that sense, this space telescope, like, like this one, like Kepler, but also um, we could think of other uh, devices, become a very interesting illustration of how, in the current moment, questions of knowledge production meet with those of mediation. The Space Telescope is an example of what Hansen terms 21st century media and illustrates the observation that sensor technology and data processing make what is not perceptible for humans perceptible in human terms and thus expand the domain of the sensible, quite literally, into the universe. It's also a highly complex apparatus of knowledge production in the sense of theorized by Karen Barrett. It is an apparatus in which the universe comes to matter in the double sense of materializing and becoming intelligible as a result of complex sets of interactions between humans and technologies. Technologies are that are not neutral probes, but constitutive of how the universe can be known by humans. 
Now, in the time that is left, I want to present some reflections about this intersection of media, mediatization, and questions of contemporary media and knowledge production, starting from a fourth example, also of a technology developed to transmit knowledge about the planetary system. And this is Erik Jure's proposal for a 21st century planetarium. And this is a project that is currently being developed. Here we see Erik Joris. He's a, an, an artist um, working uh, in Brussels. And uh, for the past uh, 15 years, he and his company crew um, have attracted much attention with high-tech performances in which audience members are literally immersed in virtual worlds. Um, crew is, is quite unlike the usual uh, theater company. I think it can be better described as a kind of multidisciplinary team of artists, researchers, technicians, using performance installations as a medium to test, play with, and reflect uh, on aesthetic possibilities and implications of uh, innovative technologies. And characteristic for the work of, of Erik Joris and crew uh, is their use of various kinds of head-mounted displays that present users with a panoramic video, uh, video images that respond to the user's viewer direction and movement. And in the early version of this technology, users uh, or immersants, as crew uh, refers to them, had to remain in one place because there was a lot of technology around them and it was so, so they were a bit fixed or they could be moved around uh, in chairs on wheels by other people just doing the pushing of these chairs. But over the years, the system has um, improved uh, as a result of which now uh, the users can um, kind of freely move around, freely kind of, uh, while carrying the whole technology in a kind of backpack. This is uh, an image of, of and very often <coughs> they also work with the kind of helpers that uh, ensure that they're that people uh, are not uh, running uh, into walls or um, like actual walls um, <laughs> or um, and, and and it's also it can be kind of scary to do this so it's also always very very comfortable to know that there is somebody very close that will uh, correct you if things uh, threaten to, to go wrong now this technology is now used to develop a planetarium this is a test version, um, and uh, so the, the, the immersant is, is the middle figure, um, and uh, she wears this little uh, antenna on her head, makes her look a bit like an alien, mm -hmm. and that, that kind of orients constantly how she moves her head and what direction she's looking. Um, and the other two are um, collaborators uh, of crew, and so here they are testing um, the, uh, the, the, the planetarium in uh, Eric Joris' uh, um, atelier. And the image on the back, you can see, is what she is seeing. So what, what happens is that, um, that, that so but she, she can look around in, in the solar system, basically. Um, and unlike planetariums that, um, uh, by means of projections, offer visions of the universe as if existing independent from the viewers, in, in Eurus Planetarium, um, the universe unfolds quite literally from the encounter of the immersant and the technology. And this is not merely a matter of the technology responding to, uh, to the movements uh, and, and to support an immersive illusion, for actually 
a lot of Cruz' creative strategies subvert the suggestion of transparency of technological mediation and subvert complete immersion. Um, this starts already before one enters uh, the, the, the solar system, so to say, um, where the user meets with a person who assists in putting on uh, the, 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 the head-mounted the head display um, and explains how to move around and, and what, what will happen. And the first thing that uh, the person encounters when entering, in a way, uh, the solar system is the image of an avatar with the voice of that same person. So there is a, a, di a direct connection created between the, the real situation outside and the immersive world, instead of suggesting that we now enter um, like a, a complete other world of, of the solar system. And what is also constantly um, highlighted is how this, this, immerse, this world of, of, of the solar system is created in the here and now. It's not, um, it's not meant as a complete illusion. What, what happens when, when you enter it, uh, it it's not, it, one doesn't enter the solar system as it is in its totality already there, but it, it's slowly built up with the sun appearing um, uh, and, and, and when you get an, an explanation, you can also actually feel the sun uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's a football on a string that is also marked by uh, motion tracking uh, markers. So, the, so seeing the sun in, in the universe suddenly it appears to you and, and, it, and you can move it and then only after that it starts to be used as a way of representing the sun. Um, so it's, it's slowly building up a representation uh, of uh, the planetary system. Um, it's also very interesting that, that, that there the, 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 the system um, that Eric uh, created allows you to enter different uh, solar systems or let's say different understandings of our solar system. So we have a series of historical models of how people have understood what, how it functioned, what the solar system was like, and one can enter, one can enter the, the, the solar system with a fixed sun uh, or uh, with, uh, as, as a flat, flat entity, and, but also the one that we now think is the right one. Or, and, and, and also this quite nice is that um, the current model is equally explained as at this moment the model that we believe uh, um, is, is what it is. So there is uh, not an illusion of, of entering how it is, but rather a creation of a model of how we think it is. And important here is the role of a second, oh here, here we can see the, the, the avatar. So we see the, um, uh, the screen in, in this setup shows, the shows uh, what the person, the immersion is seeing. And this is the, the guide. And that this is how what the guide looks like um, in the, the virtual uh, space. So you can see also all the motion tracking markers on her uh, costume. And there is a second character also around that is not seen in uh, by the immersant, uh, but who is present as voice and who explains uh, a lot about. Uh, yeah, you can see him with the uh, microphone. So what you can also see here is that. Um, another strategy of, of looking at the whole thing as a construction and as a way of mediating knowledge uh, is that um, <coughs> users are invited to look at others before and after them using this situation. And this is actually a setup from uh, last December where we also had a series of lectures uh, presented during the demonstration 
of, of the planetarium. So it was a, a whole uh, kind of hybrid setup of, of different ways of transmitting knowledge uh, uh, ab about uh, the solar system, but also that invited this constant reflection on what it, what, how this, this knowledge is being uh, transmitted uh, in the planetarium. And we see here a kind of um, um, a compilation that was created afterwards that describes the various um, elements of, of the whole situation. This is the, the, the football and on the string that represents the sun. Now, as a 21st century medium for transmission of knowledge, Joris um, Planetarium demonstrates a non-prosthetic approach to mediating knowledge about the universe. It destabilizes the self-evidence of a human perspective and of human perception as a foundation for understanding the universe, for example, in how it destabilized the relationship between visualizations um, of, of the universe and the sense that we are an, in gravity, which uh, is very different from the suggestion done by the images. It also um, demonstrates how a, um, a, a non-prosthetic approach to knowledge transmission invites an understanding of knowledge transmission as something that proceeds through enactment. Knowledge transmission here um, does, not, does not happen by, by means of a medium that offers what looks like a transparent window to another world or the universe, but is the result of how immersants enact their engagement with it and how viewers outside enact their understanding of what is happening. It presents a compelling image of humans feeling themselves around in visions of the universe, trying to make sense of the relative positions of the planets, the logic of their orbits, by means of embodied enactment. Getting what is thus transmitted is not a matter of getting the picture, but grasping an embodied sense of connections, relations, distances, and movements. To conclude, far from immersing users in views of how it is with the solar system, this planetarium presents itself as a tool to imagine what it may be like, and it exposes its own functioning. It stages humans implicated in 21st century technologies, and it shows the universe in line with Barat as a phenomenon that emerges from interactions and as a result of how humans enact the apparatus that is the planetarium. The universe here is, of course, a representation of the universe. The planetarium is an instrument of knowledge transmission, not of knowledge production. Yet the structural parallel between this 21st century planetarium as an apparatus of knowledge transmission and Barrett's agential realist ontology is indicative for how what Hansen terms the 21st century media are re-engineering human experience in ways that turn the blurring of the distinction between epistemology and ontology observed by Barat into everyday reality. Joris planetarium may be taken as a model for how the actual universe similarly emerges from how humans enact apparatuses of measurement with which they try to reach beyond the, human, the limits of human perception. And that therefore, the ways in which the universe emerges cannot be understood separately from these apparatuses and the modes of enacting perception afforded by them. Finally, the planetarium invites a reconsideration of knowing what it means to know in terms of a practice that is material and participatory. It shows 
how a non-prosthetic approach to mediation foregrounds the materiality of media, as well as the intimate intertwining of matter and meaning. And it helps to understand how we may conceive of a much broader array of material practices in terms of mediation, in how there are means of non-prosthetic knowledge transmission, how knowing happens in a condition of being of the world and as a result of enacting couplings with the world, and how this invites a reconsideration of what is closeness and what is distance in our practices of knowledge production. <laughs>